Hi, everybody. I'm Alethea, and welcome to the very first podcast version of Witchful Thinking from Alethea. Uh, I'm your host, and thank you for joining me. And I happen to have the great pleasure of being joined by Irene Glass. And Irene Glass has written a phenomenal book called Blackfeather Mystery School, The Mad by Training. Uh, she and her co-author, Kane Dreamwalker. Irene Glass and Kane Dreamwalker are the co-founders and instructors of Blackfeather Mystery School. Irene is a mystic witch, ordained minister, blogger, yoga teacher, and musician uh, in several bands, including my favorite, Kindred Club, Crow, and Yay. a former Marine with a background in journalism. Uh, she's a longtime teacher of witchcraft, meditation, and magic in the Mid-Atlantic. She's performed, taught workshops, and led rituals at many festivals and conferences, including the Sacred Space Concert, Earth Spirits, Twilight Covening, and Rites of Spring, and Fertile Ground Gathering. And I'm very excited to have Irene here with me today. And uh, I just want to start off by asking a question that I probably just answered with the bio, but I'm sure you can give us uh, much more color and detail is, who is Irene Glass? How do you identify yourself? <laughs> I, uh, so um, by my name first and by my pronouns, <laughs> which are she, her, <laughs> I take your point that thank you so much for having me today, Alethea. Uh, if I were trying to give someone a pretty good snapshot, I would say that I am a contemporary mystic, which means I seek out transcendental experiences, but that for me, my mysticism and spirituality is deeply tied to community work and service. And so the way that manifests in terms of who I am in the world is that I am an event organizer and a teacher and a scribbler of thoughts and a sharer of different magical tech and an organizer of various events. And I sit on a lot of boards and I have my fingers in generally speaking, almost all the pies within about a 75 mile radius of me involving witchcraft. <laughs> so that is, I think, who I am fated to be in this lifetime at this moment. <laughs> Excellent. How did you come to practice magic? I'm like so many people in my age group. So I'm in my 40s, which means that uh, I'm old enough that we didn't have, we didn't really have a much of a second generation of witches at that point in time, right? So the, uh, the ability to have witch parents was, was much uh, more narrow at the time. So I was a weird kid. I fell in love with a tarot deck when I was 12 years old and saved up my allowance so that I could get it and bring it home. And then I tried to fuse that with the, let's call it, in name only Presbyterianism that my family practiced for a while. And then a friend of mine gave me a book on witchcraft when I was 15 years old. And like so many of us, I had that moment where you suddenly go, oh my gods, I'm not broken. There are other people like me in this world. And there's an entire universe of magic available to me. And holy cow, I never knew this path existed. Um, and I, I jumped in, <laughs> you know, I, I can't do anything halfway. The running joke in the household is that I prefer my spirituality in the form of drinking from the fire hose. So, you know, I had my first book at 15 and by 17, I was leading rituals for our little proto coven. I just can't. <laughs> there is, I have no chill at all, Alicia. I have none. <laughs> Sounds very familiar, and I have used those exact words to describe myself. So. <laughs> See, this is why I like it. I, I there are not that many settings on the dial, and most of them go past 11. Exactly. <laughs> I, have like, I have like 0, 1, 23. Like, that's, that's the dial. <laughs> I hear you. I relate. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, and then of course, you know, as I as I rolled out in my life, I was one of the very first Marines to go through boot camp with Wicca on my dog tags. That had just recently happened when I joined the military. And it was really interesting to be one of the first ones because there was a lot of things that are considered fairly normal within a boot camp in a Marine Corps environment that have to be slightly adjusted when you have a member of a minority faith within a platoon. So I, I basically just, you know, I was out as a witch from day one and have been ever since. And it's been both a blessing and a challenge in a lot of different ways. Wow. Actually, I want to ask more about that because I know that it is, you know, whether or not, you, you know, we talk about the broom closet, we make jokes about the broom closet, um, but it's still for, for us a very real issue. Um, yes. You know, it is still very much, you know, you can lose your kid, you can lose your job, you can, you know, all kinds of things um, if you are publicly out as a witch. Um, and so I guess, what was that like to be publicly out in the military so early in, in the process? So my, you know, one of my clearest memories from boot camp, Marine Corps uh, recruits at the time went through what we could call like finals boot camp called the crucible. Uh, and then at the end of that, you would recover for, you know, they give you a few hours to shower and eat. And then there was usually a church service. And I remember people being very confused about what to do with me uh, in terms of everybody because they couldn't separate us, right? So if I didn't go to the church service, that meant the entire platoon didn't. And being put in that position, of course, is extremely awkward. Like, you know, in order to protect your faith, you're going to have to stomp on all these other people's. And so I, of course, you know, complied and went to the, the church service. But it was a lot of little things like that. There weren't places to check off my faith yet on a lot of the forms. And anybody who has been through boot camp, I'm guessing, in any of the services will remember, there is an extraordinary amount of paperwork. I mean, an extraordinary amount of paperwork. Like every day there is paperwork. <laughs> and so there was a lot of writing things in and having to ask questions of drill instructors that no one should have to ask a drill instructor. You don't want to talk to them. I mean, they're velociraptors, Alethea. You don't want to talk to these humans. <laughs> but I would have to. <laughs> And then, of course, once I got out, we are accustomed to having our sacred spaces where we live right? We don't go somewhere else to practice. I mean, some of us do. We have our festivals, we have our gatherings that we go to, but most of us have what can be considered a, a home cultus, a home shrine. And that was a new thing for anybody who was dealing with a barracks situation. So within my space, I usually had something with a sign on it that said, do not touch, that was various sacred objects, which of course people would touch. And then I'd get hauled into an office because then their paranoia would act up. I still remember a gunnery sergeant looking at me at one point because they had done a, you know, they'd done an inspection while we were gone. My barracks room had been inspected. And of course they saw a sign that said, do not touch. And these are Marines. So what do you think they did? <laughs> <laughs> they touched it all but then of course got you know paranoid so this, this gunnery sergeant basically was like is anything gonna happen to me like is i am i gonna like am i gonna lose a body part like, and some of some of my experience being out in the marine corps was like my own self-control and not being a massive jerk in that moment and being like yes you're going to your eyebrows are going to fall off and you'll turn green like it was really tempting. <laughs> yes. And various iterations of that played out a lot. Uh, when I was in my duty station, I was fortunate. I got to serve abroad. I was stationed in Okinawa at the AFN outlet there. Uh, I was a broadcaster, which is a really fun thing to be in the military. Um, holidays would come up. And, you know, when 
young Marines and young service members are stationed abroad, many of our older and more senior service members will be like, hey, do you want to come spend Christmas with my family? And it was interesting to be like, well, that's not really, I really appreciate thought. It's not a holiday I celebrate. Um, there are, there's a big push within the military for Christianization of various sorts. So I was forever turning down um, invitations and sometimes very high pressure ones to go to various services. One of the very interesting things that happened to me, I was um, administrative records were kept on a different base than where I was stationed and I would have to go down to admin to do things, right? This is again, back when rocks were soft and dinosaurs roamed the earth and we did it all with paper kids, paper. <laughs> so I would go to admin and one of the admin guys there, he was, uh, I think a staff sergeant, he was a mason and the, um, the master guns in charge of the entire admin unit was a very um, evangelical Christian. And so that staff sergeant elected to protect me because he himself had experienced a lot of pressure from the, the master guns in charge. And so what was interesting was just having people go, ah, you are also a minority religion and one that includes magic and mysticism. You know, I am a minority religion that includes magic and mysticism. Let's, I'm going to make sure that nothing bad happens to you. Uh, and so that was fascinating. And, and one of the, I, I would say one of the more shadow areas that I ran into, uh, I was really lucky to be in a journalism based station because it means that most of the people there are linguistically fairly gifted. We are all writers, even though we're Marines, we're pretty clever for being jarheads, which means I wasn't the first most of them had heard of. But as soon as I left that precious little enclave, things changed. So it, it was it was an interesting way to be a witch in this world. Um, I'm very glad I did it. I know that I helped lay the groundwork for all of the witches that came after me. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot for mm -hmm. one. It's a lot for one person to do, and especially. And I was just a kid. I was like 18. Oh. You know, it's amazing now yeah. looking back at my 40s and being like, wow, I had some cajones. Would you look at this? You know? <laughs> Where did I think to do that? <laughs> yeah. It just didn't even occur to me to go in the closet, I think. It's just, I'd been out already, so why, you know, and I, I'm lucky. I come from a wonderful, accepting, progressive family. They never made me feel anything other than pride in who I am and what my beliefs are. There was never any pressure to change. And so it simply didn't occur to me that I should hide who I am, you know? So, so instead we have, you know, 18 year old Irene, just being a witch in the Marine Corps. I really love that. I really love that picture in my head right now. <laughs> and I, my hope is that my hope is that the generation of witches that are coming up enjoy that same kind of like so familial too. acceptance and that ability to proudly be themselves. I think that's where we all want to head. Um, yes. I don't think any of us likes uh, the idea of the broom closet, but um, it's it's an unfortunate fact for a great many witches in a great many places. It is absolutely necessary. I think one of the most horror show experiences I have had as a teacher of witchcraft, I had my students doing um, dark goddess meditations and journaling about their shadow sides. Unbeknownst to me, a student in my class was going through an extremely ugly custody dispute and her ex-husband got hold of this meditation on shadow traits and was attempting to try to use it as part of custody proceedings. And 
I, I just as a teacher, it was absolutely awful because this is necessary work, right? We all need to look into the the cauldron within um, and and deal with our, our monsters and our beasts and learn to integrate them in healthy ways. But that needs to be a very safe and protected thing. And so, you know, on top of the empathy I, I felt for her having her trust violated, I felt like I had accidentally endangered one of my kids. And that is a hell of a feeling as a teacher to have, you know? So you are absolutely right. It is it is so far from okay uh, in many parts of this world and sometimes shockingly close to home. That was when I was teaching in person in Leesburg in the mid 2000s. It should have been okay by then, but it wasn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 we've got a long way to go for sure. We do. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to have folks who are sort of unabashedly out, who are unabashedly blazing the trail. And that's one of the things I really do appreciate about your work. Oh, thank you. One question I another next question though, because we're here to actually talk about this book that you've written with Kane. What is the Blackfeather Mystery School and how did it come to be? Sure thing. So Blackfeather Mystery School is a witchcraft school that Kane and I have been running for the past three years. We just wrapped up our third year of training. The school runs in levels that are named after Corvids. Anyone who knows me knows that I have this like crow problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a little like it's getting very excessive at this point. But so the levels within Magpie Mystery or within Blackfeather Mystery School run Magpie, Rook, Crow and Raven. It's designed to be a four level training academy. Uh, the way it came about, I happened to be in a Sather ritual, which is a Norse divinatory form, wherein a seer sits in a chair and then uses transpossessory techniques to channel a deity or a power. And the ritual I was in involved the Norns, which are a little bit like the Greek fates. So we have one for the past and one for the present and one for the future. And I was talking to Skolt, who is the Norn of the future. And I asked what I could do to protect and serve my community. Going back to the very beginning, I'm a community service witch. Like that is, <laughs> that is at the core of my being. <laughs> and I will never forget the, the Norn said, teach, make them like you. And that was the entire answer I got. And anyone who's ever stood before a power, basically you're just glad to leave, you know? So it's very, <laughs> thank you, ma'am, and run along. <laughs> and I spent, I think about a year and a half puzzling over how to do that because of course I've been teaching witchcraft for a long time, but I've been teaching the fundamentals of witchcraft or specific areas of witchcraft. It never occurred to me to try to, what if I tried to make a witch like me? Which then goes, okay, what is a witch like me? You know, I had to sit and go, all right, where are my, my really good skills? What are the things that make me talented at witchcraft? Okay, then how do I take these and how do I teach them to somebody else? And so the whole thing was basically this, uh, this homework assignment from the gods, for lack of a better term. And I was finally, you know, after a year and a half of puzzling with this, I was, I'll never forget, I was walking my dogs. I walked past a house that normally looked like a regular house in my neighborhood. And the entire peak of the roof was lined with crows. And probably two minutes after that, the entire idea for Black Feather Mystery School landed like a ton of bricks. Just I was, Alethea, I was walking my dogs and all of a sudden there it was. So four levels of training, the arc of study for each one, you know, the, the names of the levels and the idea that there would be a book and there would be in-person classes and there would also be retreats, which is the thread that I'm hoping to weave next. I've got the first two now. so that entire thing landed. And then I, of course I was talking about it with the other members of Kindred Crow. And one thing I wanted to 
teach very strongly uh, is spirit work, because of course I learned spirit work late as, an, as a fairly advanced witch. I was able to cross train into spirit work and a fairly advanced form of it without doing the earlier material, uh, simply because those skill sets translate back and forth very well. But it's one of those ones where I really wish I'd learned that back when I was 15. And so what I wanted for my school was to teach spirit work along with witchcraft from the very beginning, because those skill sets are so complementary. And so I was talking about it with the rest of Kindred Crow and Kane, my brother, who is a wonderful spirit worker. Like, I love Kane so much. I, you know, I cannot imagine my life without my little brother at this point in time, because he immediately was like, I will help, you know, <laughs> and, and jumped fully on board. And so the two of us worked together to develop the entire school, flesh out all of the arcs of learning. And that is where Blackfeather Mystery School comes from. So it is a, a deliberate attempt to see if I can take my own course of learning and condense it from 20 years down to four. So far, I think it's working pretty well. Uh, the students coming out of level three are, are quite formidable, and that's what I want them. <laughs> Fantastic. I actually, I have actually, now, because not everybody's going to understand what spirit work is, can you mm -hmm. give me sort of a working definition? I mean, I've, yes. taken, I've taken workshops with Kane. I've taken a workshop with Kane, so I know sort of what, what that means. Yes. Let's just sort of unpack that a little for folks. Absolutely. We use the word spirit work to indicate what has often been called second wave shamanism or core shamanism in this country. And part of why we use a different linguistic uh, variation is out of respect for First Nations people. Um, unfortunately, it's really tough when a set of tools works like a charm and also has problematic origin. And we deal with this a lot in witchcraft, quite frankly. There is a lot that was taken and adapted and inspired by various uh, Native groups throughout the world that we did not give proper credit for. And uh, I think all of us are trying to stay away from cultural appropriation at this point in time. Core shamanism within this country definitely falls into that category, right? And here's the problem. It also works so well. It's such a good system. So we take a lot of the teachings from that system. We give credit where credit is due. And we also make the choice not to use the word shamanism to describe what we do. I'm hoping that that Western practitioners who are not, uh, you know, um, who have not studied with one of the First Nations people who have not taken on that mantle, I'm hoping that we all step away from that word and sooner rather than later. So that is what I mean by spirit work. It is a way of working with the spirits of the world. Um, I think the way Kane would describe it where he here is uh, that there are spirits all around us. You have one inside of you. <laughs> so we have the spirits of the ancestors and the land and spirits can be hurt and need healing and spirits can help and spirits can communicate. And so by working with the spirits in a more structured, deliberate, and this is the important part, safe way, we can really enhance our witchcraft. And so that that's really where it ties in just because that that sort Sort of set of skills between the will weaving of structured witchcraft and spirit communication oh gives you a beautiful tool set absolutely beautiful i mean it's one who's constantly so yeah no it's and, and i agree with you it's it's that's always been something that in terms of core shamanism and sort of the whole history through you know most of the 20th latter half of the 20th century you know starting from Carlos Castaneda and going all the way through yes. unpacking how to address spirit and address those techniques without being appropriative. That's something that's hard and it's really important. And, yes. you know, I, that's one thing that's always sort of 
been a, a source of a great deal of dissonance in my in my background as well. Um, and so it's it's good that there are people who are committing to trying to find a way to do it differently and do it in a way that is more respectful and healthy and 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 such. Absolutely. Um, so why write a book? So I think you know coming out of that that vision I was given one of the main goals with the school is, is not only to get people a really solid education to, to you know, see if I can, I can create in people the same level of education that I have, but to do it really safely. Uh, one of the things that a lot of us experience, and I know I did, and most witches my age did, of course, is that when we were learning, we were grabbing books off the shelf and picking up bits here and bits there and making fantastic mistakes with magic from time to time. <laughs> And so some of the book is this idea that I wanted to make the school, which offers this wonderful structured safe way of becoming an empowered witch available at a much wider level and available to people who do not move at the same pace. So the school, right, we meet every other week. It's, uh, it can be a bit of a high intensity experience. I expect a lot from my students. If you wanna go through the school and take five years to do it, here, you absolutely can. Like use the book instead. It has everything you need in order to do the entire course of training and at your pace, according to your schedule. You know, we live in a, <laughs> I always jokingly refer to it as like a late stage failed capitalism hellscape. Like we live in a place that's it's a really tough timeline if you're doing spiritual discipline, um, especially if you add children and complex relationships and a busy work schedule. Not everyone has the space and time to give me three hours of their time, you know, once every two weeks. And then on top of that, practice independently as well. So by creating a book, it, create, it makes all of the material from the training course easily available to anyone who wants to access it and to be able to access it in a, in a way that works for you as well. So, you know, you can take the book, you can go through the course, it's top to bottom, uh, and, you know, build the structure that we designed. You can also use fill in flex. There are a lot of wonderful chapters there. So maybe you specifically want to beef up on protection magic. Fantastic. I have an entire section that you'll enjoy. Maybe you're just interested in the skills of spirit work awesome. Half the book is for you. So it's, it's a wonderful way to, to fill in the blanks and also to have the option of building a really strong practice of witchcraft without the need to be geographically near me or to have specific constraints on your time, energy, and effort. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that I think is, is been interesting is a lot of the learning and how people are learning magic and witchcraft, how they're coming to the craft. Um, it's a lot of it's really in flux right now is my observation um, because, because of the wide availability of books, because yes. of the wide, because of the internet, because of, of um, and especially I think COVID in some ways um, made it more rapid because so much of, of the learning went from in-person classes to being online. That's right. What do you see are the biggest changes and how are how do you see them as impacting the wider community and the craft and more generally? Oh my goodness, we are going through an amazing growth spurt right now. So I love I oh I love, I, you know, I love the youngsters that are coming in. And I say that, you know, with a, a ton of affection and no no mean no meaning, uh, no disrespect intended, rather. Um, 
the 18, 19, 20-something-year-olds that are starting to appear are so much less hierarchy-oriented. I love some of the work that is being done pulling the patriarchy and the heteronormativity and the binary out of magic. It has needed it for a very long time. It was actually a huge thing when we were creating Black Feather Mystery School was making sure that we didn't address that binary. The polarities we use within um, Black Feather are the elements, uh, which I think actually work pretty well anyway. Um, you know, it's one of those funny things where when you start to strip the male female out of things, you begin to realize that you didn't really need it in the first place. <laughs> there are plenty of ways to balance. Uh, so I absolutely love that. I love the decentralization. Witchcraft has never been a centralized system at all, right, of course, but there's even more decentralization now. So we're not dealing with the, you know, I'm still from the time period where we had BNPs, right, big name pagans. And now we have this thing that's more like practitioner leaders who are, you know, good, skilled people in witchcraft that are, you know, sort of large regional presenters. We still have some huge names that appear and go off like fireworks because they should. But more than anything, we have this wider depth and breadth of knowledge and I, I love the new magical tech that's being developed. Like one of the things we have to remember as practitioners of metaphysics is that most of our systems were destroyed. Like we just lost them all during the conversion. There, there isn't a lot left. So we're rebuilding magical tech now. You know, this, this system that we're working with really got started again in the 1950s and we're rebuilding the wheel. And there is some beautiful magical tech being developed at the moment, you know, and, and it's across the board as well. So there are people like Evo Dominguez Jr., who is a very, established, esteemed witch, you know, who is developing fantastic new magical tech. And there are also all of these wonderful young people on TikTok developing new magical tech as well. And a lot of it works, you know, and so I, I think it's it's a beautiful growth period that we're experiencing. Um, I love that we are starting to try to make witchcraft more intersectional. Um, the last large survey I think we did around witchcraft is that we are something like, or not witchcraft, but paganism, is that we're something like 85% white. And that is a giant hashtag problem. So the work around making witchcraft intersectional and figuring out where we've got baked in white supremacy, this is really important work and it's happening now. And I actually really love it when it makes people uncomfortable. It should make people uncomfortable. Like, and I'm speaking as a white cisgender, extremely privileged witch, I need to be uncomfortable. I should be. There's a lot of looking in the mirror to do and a lot of fixing to do. And and all of that, gods, it's amazing to be present for it, to see what witchcraft is becoming. We are one of the fastest growing practices in the world. Um, more and more people are seeking ways to have agency in their lives, and it's causing this groundswell of new ways of thinking. And, you know, it's all overdue. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> Systems that are rigid crumble. Systems that are like willow trees, oh, they dance. And we are definitely in a place of dancing right now. Yeah, it's it's to me it's fascinating because a um there's a lot of tension between the fact that that it is now you know to me it used to be you know back in the in the 80s and even into the 90s if you wanted to to find out about witchcraft you had to know somebody yes very much you did not have the internet to sort of that had was full of people you didn't have tiktok you didn't have instagram and so you know if you wanted to to learn magical tech, you had to find somebody who knew it. And so it was very much a relationship that you had to develop and you had to be vetted and people had to, people had to know and like you and trust you before they were going to share what they knew with you. Um, and so then, you know, the internet comes along and all of a sudden there's this explosion of access. There's this explosion of knowledge. 
And suddenly you don't need to have a teacher to start doing witchcraft. Um, that said, um, one of the most common things I know I hear as a teacher, and maybe it's something you hear a lot as a teacher, is you know when you've when you've only learned via the internet, where somebody basically gave you a spell, where you, we found a spell online and you tried it. Um, a your experience with magic is very transactional. It is you teach me a spell or I learn a spell and that spell does something for me. Um, and then there's also the fact of, of the, the understanding of the level of confidence. Um, one of the most common things I hear from, from students who are very, very new is, well, I wanted to try this spell, but I wasn't sure I was doing, I, I could do it yes. right, but I didn't try it. Yes. And um, I think that's the, 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 those, to me, those are some things that I think um, make the case for why there still need to be teachers in the world, that this can't just yes. be an exchange that happens transactionally online. And I think it also causes a lot of confusion because I think that a lot of older generational witches are really wrapped up in the relationships. It's all about the relationships. And so when a younger witch comes along and they are coming from this very transactional mindset set where they're like, teach me a spell, you know, I want to, I want to learn this knowledge, teach me a spell. And they don't want to necessarily form a relationship. It becomes that, that, that sets yes. a very jarring sort of interaction where, you know, people would just miss each other completely. Absolutely. Um, on the one side, somebody really, somebody really just wants the tech. They want the knowledge. They don't necessarily feel they need the relationship. And the other person is, you know, has been sort of trained to believe that, the knowledge and the relationship have to exist together. Yes. Um, and I don't necessarily believe either one is right or wrong. I think- I think those are, yeah, they're individual things. Well, and also like, yeah, I've watched this happen on various uh, communities online. It is good to have a teacher so that you can ask a question and get an answer from someone you really do trust that you know has decent experience. You know, so your average Wicca 101 group thing, somebody will come on and ask a question and they'll get 5,000 different answers, but you never really know anything about the credentials of the person who's answering. You know, do you, do, do you want the answer that this person gives or, or do you need to seek somebody out whose magical practice in the world you trust? And I think that that's really important. I'm very picky about who I learn from. Um, they, they need to be, you know, a certain kind of witch, the kind that I want to be like when I grow up. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that completely. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, and it's, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because I think that there's the, the folks that are coming to the craft now um, have the benefit of the fact that it is so public, mm -hmm. uh, that it is so readily available. And, and there are so many different things to choose from and you can, and you have choices. Um, yes. And I think that that's both uh, liberating and terrifying. Um. <laughs> well, and especially when we don't have any sort of certifying body, you know, one of the, the things that uh, both Kane and I find frustrating sometimes is running across sort of obvious, um, let's call them scam institutions of various sorts, or people teaching witchcraft who quite frankly shouldn't, or teaching energy healing who really shouldn't. And, and you can get screwed up by ending up with the wrong teacher, unfortunately. You know, I've I've seen it happen and, and I've even, I was briefly part of an extremely toxic coven. Fortunately, I got out, um, but those things exist to this day uh, and it's a problem. Yeah. And I think, and, and a lot of it, the thing is, is that some of it isn't malignant or, or maligned it, it or, or, or from, 
that's the wrong word. Um, a lot of it isn't uh, people who are trying to be evil. Right. Trying to be bad. Very often what you hear, what, what, what's happening is, is you have somebody who's, who's just not done their own homework in the sense yes. of, for instance, doing their own shadow work and making sure that they are, you know, fully, fully apprised of sort of whatever stuff they're carrying around inside. Um, one of the things that I'm pretty big on myself is, is if you're going to practice the craft, you better have some sort of practice alongside of it, where you are engaging in self-awareness, where you are engaging in that process of healing and of engaging with your shadow self. If you don't have that practice, then you have no business doing the craft alongside of it. At least that's my personal belief. Um, you know, certainly there's lots of witches who don't ascribe to that at all. And <laughs> rule of 100 is in effect. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is 100% true for 100% of which is 100% of the time. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you though. The, um, the second level of the mystery school, we do a lot around shadow work. And one of the very first things that Kane and I teach is like, you should also have a therapist. And if you can't <laughs> afford a therapist or your insurance doesn't cover one, here are some wonderful outlets where you can basically do that same work <laughs> without, you know, here are workbooks for depression and anxiety and healing childhood trauma. And, you know, please use these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because Necessary. so much. Yeah, there is so much, you know, magic, magic can do wonderful, wonderful things, but magic can't do everything. No, it can't. And I believe very firmly that your magic is more effective when you stand fully in your power, which means in your wholeness, you know, shadows, light, all of it in a place of adapted trauma in a place of, you know, of oneness with all that you are you're a much more effective witch when you're not trying to tear yourself down at the exact same time so there's a, a huge need for that I'm, I'm with you on this one Alicia yeah that was one of my favorite chapters in the book actually was was uh the mirror exercise that that you had yes. I think that's that you know there's it's a very powerful tool for sort of realizing who you are and who you want to be and who who you have the potential to be Yes, we work with the empowered witch archetype, archetype quite a bit over the course of the of the training. I think it's important to understand that that what that looks like for every person is different, and to know where you know what is the what is the distance between you now and and that, and how do we get there? You know. Yeah. No, I think that that's one of the most powerful things in terms of looking at at sort of the start of the system um, that I found really, really cool was that, that there was that emphasis from the beginning on the idea of, of empowering yourself and being, being everything that you, you can be, or at least moving in that direction. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> While acknowledging that perfection is important, is, is impossible, and is not mm -hmm. something that is granted to humans, but we can, we can move in a direction. <laughs> yeah. Perfection. Yeah. Oh God. That's a whole other, there, that's a whole other thing right there is, is working through that whole <laughs> desire for perfection. Oh my goodness. Whew. But what's the most important thing that you hope this book will do? hope that it makes the training available to a larger number of people. Um, the entire time Blackfeather Mystery School has been running, I, one of the nice things about being a teacher for so long over such a large geographical region is that I have a lot of contacts and people who've studied with me under various circumstances at various festivals over the years. And the biggest thing has always been like, I wish I lived closer so I could take this. When is the book coming out? And so I want to answer that call. Um, if this book 
helps even you know one person step into their power more than it has been completely worth it you know uh, my hope is to add to the body of knowledge of let's call it healthy witchcraft because there's actually a fair bit of unhealthy witchcraft out there so if if i can do that if i can if i can light a candle for a couple of people then it'll have been worth all of the trouble i think that that's i think that that's very true and i i i I'm pretty sure you're going to reach that goal and you're probably going to it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you know, a thousandfold at least. Um, you know, having having been to some of your workshops actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, um it yeah, it's it's you know, your point about how of healthy witchcraft. I think that that's that's super important. Super yes. important. I feel like there's there's a lot of unhealthy witchcraft out there. And there's a lot of um, witchcraft that wants to be healthy in, in theory, but probably isn't in practice. Um, yes. Well, and I think some of that is, you know, we, we always have to look at the timeline that runs along with the, the genesis of witchcraft in the country. We know so much more now about what it is to be well-adjusted, about what it is to be in a co-creative relationship as opposed to a transactional one. It, we've just evolved our thinking. Um, honestly, some of the best training I've received from that has come from uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association and working through their lay ministry program and being able to take fundamentals of that into witchcraft and into Black Feather mystery school to be able to teach some of this like let's let's do this in a healthy way so that we are all better on the other side and so that our magic reflects that you know so what's next for you so I am super stoked because after two years without a festival season there is finally one here <laughs> knock wood may the river not rise so this year apparently is the year we do all of the things and this is not by design at all but of course I got married in November and then not according to plan at all, but the perfect house dropped in my lap in February. So I bought a new house in February, which is a beautiful 1880s farmhouse on three acres of land that comes with, say it with me kids, its own standing stone circle because I don't know why the universe does this, but it does. <laughs> so there's that entire thing. And then I have a book coming out at the same time. <laughs> and of course my band is wrapping, Kindred Crow is wrapping up work on our second album. And we're about to hit the ground running starting in June. One of the good things, though, about being in a pagan band means that with Black Feather, I can kind of tie it to where I am already going to be. So I am already going to be at several festivals over the course of the summer, and I'm just going to also teach along with perform. Uh, so in a way, that, that at least is a, a bit of a, a neat tying up. Um, one of the big things that we are going to do is set up an online magpie training course so that if people would like to work from the book as a textbook and also have access to Kane and I in a streaming format, we're going to make that available. Um, so there are, uh, there's a waiting list for that one already, which is very exciting. So that'll be coming this summer. Um, basically, we want to make sure, I, everybody is familiar now with the supply issues. We want to make sure that the book actually appears within reality and in people's uh, lovely little fingers before we try to use it as a textbook. Book. I just want to make sure that that actually happens. I've been hearing horror stories from other writer friends for a little bit about the publishing situation right now. So as soon as we know for sure that that's a thing, the Magpie training course will go up online. Uh, and then, you know, Kane and I will just continue to be in the Mid-Atlantic teaching and presenting. I present a lot online as well. Uh, and the Raven level of Blackfeather Mystery School for Advanced students will be beginning um, probably this fall. That one will be in person in Frederick, Maryland. I like to teach the classes in person 
person first uh, before we move online. The last two levels we had to do online because of the plague, but Raven in particular, because it is an extremely advanced level, some of the work that we're going to be doing needs to be in a very protected and contained space. There are some kinds of witchcraft that it is very difficult to teach in a distant format, at I least and keep everyone protected. I completely understand that. I, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Especially oh. when we're getting into like the spiritual surgery level stuff, like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not putting no. that. That's not, that's not a thing's going in a book kids. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I guess, I, and this is going to sound, it, it's in some ways it's a very trite question, but it's not. And it's one that I actually, uh, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people because I think as we're coming out of this pandemic, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's 2022 and you know, people are starting to emerge from their 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 sort of protected. Uh, I'm not going to leave my house. I'm not going to associate with folks outside my bubble. Sort of scenario. Um, you know, I have found personally for myself that all of a sudden, like I've had sort of this explosion of activity, and I'm suddenly thinking, like, how did I do all this? And so I guess the question yes. is. How, how do you do all this is, is how do you keep the balance? Because like I said, and it sounds like a really trite question, but the truth is, is that given where we are right now, and this is something I think everybody's dealing with on one level or another. So I really do practice what I preach. Um, my answer to you is that you have to do your home practice and your self-care and it's the only way so for me for my personal practice that looks like 20 minutes in the morning of pranayama which are breathing exercises that help my brain get into a good place and then silent meditation usually i'm traveling uh, it's you know light journey work going to see my gods and then i extend if necessary depending upon the conversation i see a therapist every other week i do yoga i have a house that involves a lot of gardening which means i'm outside a lot like before this interview i spent my morning picking up downed wood that was how today went and the beautiful thing about that of course is i'm out in the sun i take antidepressants i take a whole host of vitamins and i spend time with people who love me and i make art and all of that, unfortunately, at least in my experience of what it is to be a human is not negotiable. You know, we have to do that first. And Kane would back me up. Kane is a massage therapist. You know, Kane's biggest thing with everyone is, would you please sit down and drink some water? Just, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> yep. So, and, and that's going to come from both of us. One of the fundamentals of Black Father, the very first thing we teach is here is what your altar looks like for this school. Here is your daily practice. Start now. And it is because we must begin to heal. We have to. We have to do this front-end investment. I haven't found a shortcut. I don't know that there is one, Alethea. I wish there was. You know, I wish my, my world didn't need to include that much meditation and breath work every day but it does. If I want my brain to work, I have to do this. And so this is what I teach everyone else as well. It's all of the practical stuff that no one wants to hear. Eat your goddamn vegetables, go outside and take your meds. <laughs> I mean, I, although the thing is for me, like I, my daily altar practice, honestly, all through the pandemic was a lifeline. Mm -hmm. it, was, yes. it was, and, and, you know, it, it was a, a, huge tool in keeping me sort of balanced when, you know, keep my wits about me when everyone around me seemed to be losing theirs, so to speak. Yes. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I always try to tell people though about it, because I think it's important for people to hear it is, 
you know, I think we, in this culture, because of that, and this goes back to that perfection thing we were talking about before, is there's this whole notion of, oh, I'm going to have a daily practice. And if I miss a day, I failed. Oh, no, no, no. You're going to fall like, off the wagon yeah. 4,000 yeah. times and you're going to climb back on 4,001 times. And that is the important part. Right. Yeah. And success, yeah. That success, this whole idea that success is this sort of incline that goes ever upward and never stops and never falters and never, that's just cow puggy. Yeah, that, yeah. My, my line looks like spaghetti. I mean, like, yeah. and that's how it's supposed to go. It's going to be messy. Starts. Yeah, success yeah. is messy. <laughs> success comes in fits and starts. Success does not happen overnight. It does not happen in a linear way. Um, and, and you just have to sort of, you know, we say daily practice, but really what we mean is consistent practice. And yes, that is a better way to put it because in any given week, I will probably miss a day. You know, if I wake up and I'm having a depression day, maybe I'll miss a day, you know, but it's more often than not do your self care. (laughs) It's it's that, how do I stitch this into my life in a way where I'm, I am doing it consistently, maybe not, you know, perfectly, but definitely consistently. Um, And I think that that's, I think it's huge. And I I agree with you. I think it's now more than ever. I think most, most of the witches I know have learned that, that, that daily practice is just not a negotiable thing anymore. Unfortunately not. Or maybe fortunately, like I, you know, in a way it's good that every day I have to go talk to the powers that be, you know, (laughs) keeps me aligned and doing what I'm supposed to. (laughs) Indeed. Oh my goodness. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, where can people find you? If people are looking for you on, on the interwebs and in the world, where can they find you? So I'm easy to find. Fortunately, my parents gave me an unusual name. So if you Google Irene glass, I will come up all over the place and then it'll really just be me. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to have an old fashioned name sometimes. So you can find me at glass and that's with an E because Gaelic includes lots of extra syllables we don't pronounce, but like a pane of glass with an E, witchcottage.com. That's my personal website. It is where I blog roughly once a week. I put a lot of my events up there. It's an easy way to find me. The school specifically is blackfeathermystery.com. And one of the cool things about the book is it is multimedia. So there are, you know, all of the guided meditations are written out. um, So you can record them yourself if you would like to, but I'm a musician. I have a studio. So we went ahead and recorded everything. It's all available at blackfeathermystery.com, which means you can do meditations just by listening to the tracks there. It can be much nicer to have somebody else guide you through a meditation than to try to remember it or to listen to your own voice stumbling through. <laughs> so blackfeathermystery.com is a great way to find us. And Kane and I are both on social media. So you can find me at Irene Glass uh, in Facebook and Instagram and all of the other platforms. So very easy to locate online. That's fantastic. Um, Thank you so much for spending some time with me this morning and for uh, sharing so much about what's going on and this book and sharing this book in general, because it is, I've, I've been reading it, I've read it and it's fantastic and very excited to see uh, more people discover um, all the great things that you have to teach um, and really looking forward to seeing this book roll out and seeing everything that comes of it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. This was such a pleasure. It's been my pleasure too. Thank you, everybody. This is Irene Glass. You need to get the book when it comes out. Blackfeather Mystery School, The Magpie Training by Irene Glass and Kane Dreamwalker. Um, Irene, again, thank you so much for being with me today. And that's a wrap. Very first podcast. And- Yay!
see you all on Substack and take care everybody.